Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day guys, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar from Right Property Group and Investing Insights and we're back again, Vic, for another filmed, recorded version of Investing Absolutely. Insights. And since the last time we did this, there has been some massive pieces of news. Um, clearly we've had the budget, mm-hmm. uh, we've had some other big ticket items revealed uh, in terms of responsible lending and how that may change over the next couple of months. Uh, open banking system, vacancy rates declining, prices moving up and down and sideways. So there's lots of these bite-sized pieces of information that are certainly creating a picture. Um, to which, to some degree, it's the first time in 20 years or thereabouts that I've been investing that I've actually seen the majority of these components or these ingredients, if you will, come together. It's all at once. All at once. Yep. Uh, yeah, are we still missing a few of those ingredients? Potentially, but they're not going to break the bank, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's exciting times nonetheless. So. And the interesting thing is that interest rates are mm. at record lows and now there's subtle talk of dropping it further and yep. there's a definite shift in terms of the media reporting. So they're now starting to talk, instead of doom, they've now now replaced the D with a B and they're talking did. <laughs> <laughs> so that five times really quickly. It's, um, it's amazing, isn't it? Because it, the media does shape the public perception. Mm-hmm even though it's meant to be a reflection of public perception. Uh, we've seen, as you, st- have you, as you rightly say, that everybody was talking about this horrific crash that was uh, due to happen or was going to happen because of COVID and mm-hmm. obviously other factors as well. So I think, I think I put it up on our Facebook page the other day. It went from 40% to 30 to yep. 20 to 10 to 5 and now... It's the ultimate countdown, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It, it, it just basically <laughs> is to the... To the takeoff in the market potentially, mm-hmm. because yep. that's what they're talking about now. In 21, 22, 22, 23, mm-hmm. a lot of the forecasters within the, the banking systems that yep. control the mortgages are seeing good times ahead once we get over this hurdle. That's right. Because yeah. it is a hurdle. It is a hurdle. And, and, and the reason why we're saying that it will definitely be a boom is uh, really simple. We've got record interest uh, rates, uh, lo- very low <laughs> interest rates. Uh, we've also got um, the lending rules being relaxed. Uh, now, it hasn't all flowed through, but uh, the onus will shift to the borrower to prove um, affordability within the bank's calculator. Um, uh, so still using the, that as a guide. Uh, and, and we've got an undersupply situation. Construction isn't that high. Um, we've had loss of mobility, so therefore um, a lot of properties haven't changed hands, uh, or more so, uh, vendors haven't put the properties on the market because they've been able to put their mortgages on pause, see what's really happening in the market, and then come out and say, okay, now's the time to sell, or I can afford to hold on because I've been able to fix my rates then, so now I'm set for two years, three years, five years. Mm. Um, so it's all creating that perfect foundation for a big storm. And the storm's coming in our direction in, in, in the sense that the winds are favourable for us. I was about to say the storm is in this sense. It's not <laughs> negative. It's like drought breaking That's right. rain. Yes. Maybe storm is the way to look at it. And look, typically and historically, we're not those people that want to talk about um, being – too optimistic yes. about different markets and the like. We've always been very conservative and we always will be uh, in our commentary and in the way that we create the strategies and, and so on and then execute them. However, now it's just a little bit different. We only get these moments in time 
Perhaps once in a lifetime, hey? I was going to say once a decade, but I think the last time that we experienced this potential type of increase was back in 2001-4 or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember my first property, and I've told the story before, but for those that are new listeners, I'll very quickly give you the short version. My very first property in, I think it was 2000, Mm. thereabouts, um, I should be historically correct, but I think it was 2000, uh, doubled in 12 months. Now, am I suggesting that happens now? No, and I want to repeat that again. I do not think we're going to see a 100% increase mm-hmm. in the next 12 months or anything like that. Nonetheless, the founda- or the the pieces, a lot of those pieces that were there... That look exactly the same now. ...are here today. Yeah. But to be fair, there are some that, are, that aren't, such as even back then, I think it was the... The uh, invention, or not the invention, but the rolling out of the low dock loan, yes. like the real low dock loan, really fueled the market. But how that ties in today is that it's the availability of credit mm-hmm. and how it gets into yep. the economy is how all asset classes are driven. And back then it was the low dock loan, and now we're looking at the easing of responsible lending, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. We'll yeah. get to a bit later on. So that's an important thing that you've touched on, right? So we've got all of the foundational things that have happened. The budget's favourable. The economy is favourable because of the incentives we're putting in. Um, the um, um, property availability is favourable in inverted commas, and and people are able to hold on, right? But the catalyst to all of this is has always been finance. So if you look at back in two thousand two thousand one with the low dock days, finance was easy to to obtain. So a lot of people bought. So the demand for properties increased and therefore the price uh, because everyone can now buy because finance is available. You fast forward that to today uh, with the change in responsible lending and the lower interest rate, finance will become a lot more available. Um, And uh, therefore the same thing may be repeated in terms of not necessarily doubling in a year, but certainly going through some very strong growth spurts in select areas. There will still be people that'll have a tragedy story in today's market as it was back then because they have speculated. They've moved away from fundamentals and then therefore they're trying to, um, you know, pushing all the chips in the one area, one type of property um, and they haven't done their full due diligence and they're not relating it back to their own financial situation which is what got a lot of people in trouble in the early days back then. Yeah, and that's a good point because there will be a tragedy. Mm-hmm. There's always a tragedy somewhere as there was back then, there is today. And some would argue that some of those tragedy stories that we're seeing unfold now is due to the vacancy rates of inner city, say Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane in particular, where they're double digits. Yep. And a lot of that accommodation was tiered towards overseas universities, um, business travel, basically anything that revolved around an international border Mm -hmm. if you will and we've seen those go from being the in type of property to purchase which isn't relatable back to a strategy and i just want to make that very clear but now we're seeing those properties vacant and you'll three weeks rent free you know free television here's a holiday Mm -hmm. a really good sign that the market is struggling but you only have to get out to where the majority of the people live so the mass population that are in everyday life and it's quite a different story. And we've been talking about this vacancy rate shift well, for 18 months. Yes, we have. And yes, we have. now that COVID has amplified that or, or even brought it to the forefront is a really important piece of news because that's going to play out over the next 18 months uh, and two years. In combination, as you mentioned, with that cheap credit, 
Mm. Or, and the availability you can it can be as cheap as it needs to be, but if you can't get your hands on it, it's kind of a mute point. But it will get easier. Yep. Um, and I said we'll talk about the open banking system and the ramifications of that, good and bad, a little bit later on. But think of it just as a side point. Think of it this way: confidence in the consumer is driven by the cost of money. So yep. when you have cheap credit, people spend. Mm-hmm. Now. That's a historical sort of data point, but what's quite different today is that a lot of people have taken advantage of the cheap credit, taken advantage of the job keeper, job seeker, and you know, the other incentives, and instead of spending it, they've actually put it into their mortgage, into their yes. offset facilities, or whatever it may yeah. be. And the savings is at a record high at the moment. Since '74, I believe mm-hmm. it was in some of the lenders' books, mm. um, which is huge. Now, the the budget is the exact opposite of that. They want you, they're giving you money. Here's a handout, or if you will, free kick. Mm-hmm. Here's a tax break. But do us a favor, please don't put it into your mortgage. Go out and spend it, is yep. what they're indirectly saying. Mm-hmm. Spend the money to get the economy percolating. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that the Joe public will do that. Yeah, yeah. So at, at the individual, individual level, I suppose they don't. But if you look at, say, the incentives they put in front of businesses in, in uh, accelerated asset write offs, and um, being able to go back and um, uh, use it as tax deductions for the previous year, that's actually forcing the businesses to spend the money uh, rather than giving them a tax cut as such. So, so that'll flow through in the economy. It's huge. It's, yes. a, it's a big, big call. And so we've had the job seeker. Mm-hmm. We've got job keeper for a little bit longer. So realistically what they should be mul- concentrating on now is job multiplier. Yep. And the only way to do that is to have in business invest in themselves, mm-hmm. which starts that cyclical effect of then eventually hiring more people as people spend and you know, the wheel right. turns. So it has to be a job multiplier effect as opposed to, well, let's just put a Band-Aid on this now because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's not going to work at all. Yeah. So the, 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 our asset class being property has had some, once again, some pretty big news. Mm. And whilst the budget, there was nothing in the budget that was you know, new news. No, it is all all uh, selectively leaked well ahead of time. Yeah, uh, and and we also knew that there was only so many levers they could pull, mm. and, and it was pretty much premeditated as to what uh, they will change. It's just that we didn't know how much the change was going to be. Exactly, and it was selectively leaked. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't even leaked; it was just said, I yeah. think, beforehand. So there was nothing in the budget that for property investors was the holy grail of, yeah, of yeah. new news. So you could maybe think about it this way, that it was there wasn't anything that was against the grain that would make you step back and reassess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so a good example of it is in one of the budgets they changed the depreciation rules. Correct. Now that was a huge change in property investing. Mm. So there was nothing like that. There was very, in fact, I was quite surprised that there actually wasn't much on property in itself. I think the, the home builder, the, the extension... Mm-hmm. of that was big enough news because that's a indirectly that's a it's a force multiplier correct because it goes all the way down the line with a new with a new build as opposed to buying a second hand mm-hmm. or an existing property there's not that many uh, other parties involved yep. within the economy so i can understand that they're doing that do i agree with it in that context potentially not um, but that will have a an effect from a groundswell point of view where it will lift entire mm-hmm. markets just based on the number of transactions and the limited supply that we're seeing. 
Does it necessarily mean that they're all going to be great investments for the long term? No. no. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to see some tick up in, in those prices. But the sentiment state by state, because we've got the, I'll come back a step, we've got the federal budget which has given us the news and there's a flow-on effect down to the state levels mm-hmm. here and some of that might be through the federal funding to infrastructure projects, roads and rail and you know use it or lose it approach. Mm-hmm. And they've said that quite, yes. quite loudly. The sentiment state by state is quite and remarkably different as well. well now clearly we've got Melbourne who's in a stage for lockdown, generally speaking, and that's mm-hmm. hindered transactions. And I'm not talking about just real estate. That goes all the way through to retail spending. Yep. But because Melbourne is such a large part of the data market, it started to affect the data generally mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the country. And if we relate Mel's that, the second largest population, right? Correct. So, so think of it. if we take that from a, a property perspective and let's talk about vacancy rates. So we, the market and the media and the, and the, the economists want to talk about the general market and the general vacancy rates or price increase, decrease, whatever it may be. Melbourne is a large portion of that. So when mm. you've got no mobility or, or very limited mobility, therefore lack of transactions, whether it be sale or rentals, that is going to directly affect the averages onto which the media report. But when you get granular, it's quite a different story. Very, very different story. Yeah, very different story. We've been buying properties in Melbourne um, uh, for many, many years, over a decade. Uh, and uh, realistically, there is, hasn't been as low a vacancy factor in these areas that we're buying in because everyone's moving to these areas and they're getting out of these high rises. They're getting out of away from the CBD scenario and into more sedate family life, if I can put it that way. Um, uh, in, in sedate. <laughs> I, can see, I can hear the feedback already. Yep. <laughs> uh, so uh, you, you're seeing the definite spike and... A flow on also is that in the regional areas, we are starting to see a spike in terms of pricing, but it's not led by investors. It's led by mostly owner occupiers because they're looking at it and saying, okay, I can rent or now I can actually afford to buy and I really don't need to move from here or I've moved from there to here because it's a lot cheaper. I can get into the property market. I can um, have my own piece of real estate and I look at it, reassess it in about five years' time to see where I go from here. That brings up a really good point. I want to sort of tack for a minute, change the subject, if you will, as, mm-hmm. we, all, as, yeah, often, as we always do. As we often do, and then we'll come back to whatever the subject was. That with the regional areas, well, I'll even come back a bit further. So you mentioned that a lot of these price increases are led by the homeowner. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that throughout various areas of Australia, whether it be southeast Queensland, parts of Sydney, not Melbourne to a degree yet, but mm-hmm. we'll see those numbers start to come through the pipeline soon when they get that mobility. Um, Perth is another example where the homeowner and the credit that it's associated with them taking up the homeowner skill, the, the home builder and purchasing, that's starting to show through in the data in terms of new mortgages. Yes. Uh, it's it's huge. It's biggest. September's huge. Mm-hmm. Biggest in years in terms of a monthly increase. And so the market recovery or that groundswell, if you will, is led this time by the homeowner as mm-hmm. opposed to the investor. Yep. What will happen though is the investor, as soon as they get that that ability to, to borrow money, is they'll enter the market because it's still not easy for the investor, mm. no matter what anybody says, to get into the market today yep. with credit. But if I want to come now back to the, the statement you said about the regional areas and how we're starting to see a, a tick up in, in value there. And a word of warning around the the regional areas, and we do, as a 
disclaimer, we do invest regionally mm -hmm. throughout Australia, but our interpretation of, of regional may be different from, from somebody else. I'm not a fan of the sub-par regional areas. Even though it has to be major regional. Correct. Even though we're seeing quite a lot of people move to these areas from the CBDs and metros for a better lifestyle change in combination with affordability and what have you, I'm not sure there's a lot of longevity there. Mm. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not bagging regional areas because I think there's so much potential there. But once you get out of the major regional areas into those smaller regional areas, the longevity, the future – could be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And here's an example, which I think we did on our live, one of our Facebook lives a couple of weeks ago, is that eventually we're going to need to get back into the office environment. Absolutely. Right? Because Absolutely. There's, a, there's a culture aspect there which you can't do and breed, if you will, when you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be that human interaction that can only be in an office atmosphere. Now, whether that goes to four, one, three, two days in the office is yet to be seen. We have the technology to be able to work remotely, but we once again, we don't have the culture and that connectivity. Mm -hmm. So when we swap back, when employers start to say, okay, well, I need you back in the office and you're living five, six hours away from anything and you can't particularly do it remote or they won't, your employer won't let you, you then have a choice. I leave the job and I look for work locally, of which there isn't a lot of work when you go into those subpar regional areas or you actually move back to the metropolitan mm -hmm. area. So whilst we see that, and I think the latter will be the, the case, so yep. you, we see this swell in price now, but I believe that over the next, say, call it five-ish plus years, we'll start to see that go back. Shift back. Yeah, yeah. as people come back into the mm -hmm. um, metropolitan areas so or the major regional areas as well. So we need to be careful as investors that whilst our strategy is still, from a holistic point of view, quite solid and still the same, the asset selection that we do now can't be just for the now and it still needs to be for our five and our 10 and our 15-year um, trajectory, if you will, or assumptions on what the market will do so that it gives us longevity and safety within the market. Yeah, so what you're saying is that we should not ignore fundamentals and not just uh, chase transient trends because of um, the virus, because of what the way population is taking. We still need to look at it from a fundamental point of view that this is the, this is the um, um, foundations that we look for in terms of these areas. Here are the fundamentals. It needs to tick those boxes first before we go any further, regardless of how good a growth trend or how low the vacancy factors are in that area. So when you're chasing trends, that's a really good point because if you chase the trends, you have to have your finger on the pulse of that trend every second of every day of mm -hmm. every month of every year because the trend, as quickly as a trend establishes itself, it can fade away to nothing yep. as well if there's no substance mm -hmm. behind it. And for those that want to chase the, the, uh, the trend – then they're a speculator, they're a gambler mm -hmm. as opposed to a an investor. Yep. And so they'll want to be in and out of that market. So you need to make sure if that's your your gig that there's enough liquidity in that market mm -hmm. to be able to get out when you need to. Otherwise, you're stuck there. Yeah, yeah. So let's explore that further, right? So you're saying enough liquidity. So what, what we mean by that is that there needs to be a buyer on that property ready to buy off you in a bad market to begin with because chances are, You'll need to sell when things go sour, either for your employment or in life or the economy itself, right? So you need to have enough people willing to buy in that area. The other thing uh, you mentioned was that you need to have a finger on the pulse in terms of the trend. Uh, and um, this is not just during the buying phase. This is even during the holding phase. You need to be constantly coming back to your research to say, is it still holding true? 
is the market still uh, you know in the same trajectory in terms of rentals in terms of values in terms of liquidity uh, a really good example we had brought up uh, during our facebook live steve if you recall was port headland uh, and how people were chasing the trend there so port headland for those that don't know is a mining town uh, in in western australia so people are chasing the trend there the trend was extremely high yields this was based on the mining uh, being in still in its setup phase so therefore there was a lot more consultants there were a lot more workers being brought in so there was an accommodation shortage and uh, the yields went gangbusters of so properties that were worth 300 all of a sudden became a million because of the fact that they could get 15 20% yields on these properties and everyone jumped on um and and people did make good money my 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 sister bought in there uh because she was living there um uh, and and running a business there and and she made good money because she had the finger on the pulse in terms of the market going up the market coming down and um uh you know a lot of people have been able to offload their properties by following the trend uh on a regular basis and it's not a set and forget investment when you take on more risk it can't be a set and yes. forget investment and and a risk could be interpreted by the way that the market moves or the variances within the market when you have a market that is perpetuating quite quickly there's an element of risk attached to that but you just or some people just refuse to acknowledge it yes because whatever goes up quickly must get back mm-hmm. to an element of normality it's long term averages mm. and that's usually preceded by a, a contraction in price and then a period of nothingness yeah so it normalizes right Correct. so it normalizes back to where its normal base is uh, and that's what we need that's where fundamentals come in handy 100% so let's have a look at the let's come back to the budget for a minute because the government is trying its best to stimulate the economy there's no secrets about that and there's an element of which we mentioned earlier on the consumer confidence and that's mm-hmm. via the availability of credit and cheap credit at that but also being in a position that they can get out to spend it and melbourne's a really good example of they're not out to spend it and so when you look at the the indexes around consumer confidence whilst melbourne is starting to gain mm-hmm. in the index or on the data now for the last 6 weeks their consumer confidence has been quite low and as a result of that they haven't spent mobility etc but if you look at the other states if you look at sydney you look at perth brisbane adelaide act and Tasmania where start where people still have degrees of mobility they're able to spend in the localized economies whether it be state based or even council based still percolates still keeps jobs mm-hmm. and that confidence wheel once again starts to spin but the one thing that doesn't change is that everybody still needs accommodation yes whether you have a job or you don't you still need the accommodation and that ties in with something that we talked about i think it was last podcast um with Phil where we were talking about the potential of an accommodation crisis mm-hmm. that is starting to come to fruition over the next couple of years now labor and their um in their their commentary around the budget was that there was really not enough around affordable housing for those yep. that that needed and potentially rightly so but as the government replied they're not in the business of being a landlord mm. they tried that even state governments tried that and it didn't go well for them they want private investment to do it so that they carry the risk they carry the 
repairs and maintenance and everything else that goes with being a landlord to supply the accommodation, but they need to make it attractive enough for the private investor to want to do so. Now, they had a couple of cracks at that with, um, and I've just gone blank, what was the... NRAS. NRAS, yep. which was the biggest rort um, in the worst possible sense that I can think of as, a, as an investment platform. Um, on the surface, there were some pretty good things to look at, but it quickly unraveled yeah. for the investor. Yep. Nothing's for nothing is, mm. the, is the bottom line. Um, and there's nothing like that in the budget this time no. to help people want to invest in terms of affordable accommodation because as commercial investors, because that's what every investor is from a commercial aspect, is they want to minimise expense and maximise the income. There has to be something there for the investor to want to entertain. That's right. Yeah. To, to part with their money, basically. Correct. Because... As good as it may seem on the surface and, and noble, if there's not a price increase there and if it's going to put our own family units in on the line, they're not the human nature is you're not going to do it. Mm. I mean, it might look good to begin with, but once you unravel and you start to understand what it's about, you're going to look for an exit strategy and yep. there's no one there to replace you. Yep. You know, um, as you're talking, I was, I was think, uh, had an uh, epiphany and uh, Steve, uh, this is going to be a FOMO moment next year. As, on the assumption that, we get some level of vaccine, say in July, there would be a mass uh, rush for people to invest because hang on, hang on a minute, if we've got stability, we've got uh, the property prices will take off. And so it'll be self-perpetuating in that sense and uh, in the sense of people with the FOMO coming in, in, in the hoard. So back, if you recall back in 2016, 17, what happened in the Sydney and Melbourne market might potentially happen all across the metropolitan areas of Australia uh, in that sense because people rush in to try and invest. And, and for some, trying to catch up with um, uh, their investment plans. For others, it may be that uh, they have had the epiphany to say, hang on, my job's not forever. I need to cater for my retirement. Uh, and invariably, mark my words, you'll see people come out of the woodwork in terms of advisors as such uh, that will have that new trend, new fad, uh, let's, let's take onto this government incentive, let's, uh, let's do something really sexy and, 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 and um, get into the property market this way. Um, again, this is where people get financially hurt. That's a good point, Vic, because one of the things that I see as my role on the board of Pippa is the amount of complaints from the consumer that come in to people that perhaps didn't do enough diligence themselves to mm -hmm. begin with and on the surface something that looks shiny and attractive and very rewarding overnight uh, they entertained and as a result it went pretty bad for them now that's not every every case but we certainly see enough of it and it, it makes me think that the strategy that you that you create it needs to be agile and not fragile Good way of putting it. And, the, and what I mean by that is that the strategy needs to be able to move with the market mm -hmm. dynamics because no market is ever lineal. It's never a straight line from A to B. There's always twists and turns as the economy unfolds or contracts or whatever it may do, as does the localised fundamentals of the suburb economy, mm -hmm. for that matter, from a micro point of view, not just a macro point of view. So if your strategy that you create isn't agile enough to be able to move with the times and survive those times, then you've actually become the victim of being quite fragile in your approach to mm -hmm. creating your portfolio. Because what we're trying to do is bridge the gap between where you want to be and where you are now. 
That's right. And and along the way, uh, things change. Uh, the economy changes, the market changes, your financial circumstances can change. Or we can forward uh, predict that the uh, finance is going to be harder. So we need to change tech right now, right? So w- one, one of the things we do when uh, you and I sit down uh, with, uh, with clients or people that want to come on board uh, and uh, use our services uh, is... Uh, we address these things. And whilst we may have put in a plan to say, let's buy three properties in five years, as an example, it doesn't mean that you will actually buy three properties in five years. It could be three properties in three years. It could mean three properties in seven years because five years is a long time in property and things change. So our constant reviews and our and our ability to forward predict and, and look at the performance of the current property in the portfolio and bring in the right property in as a next uh, addition to the portfolio is always geared towards working towards your goal, taking the nuances and the changes of finance, economy, and your own financial uh, circumstances into account to then fine tune the plan. So it, it's always agile, as as you said. We need to keep changing it um, to to keep it on course. Yeah, and to to be clear though, agile is not around going from you know 180 de- degree direction. That's right change Mm -hmm. it's just these little minor adjustments yeah incremental adjustments along the path that keep us true north Mm -hmm. so to speak um all right so let's now get to what the markets are actually doing now because we've had a lot of these these good news and just to recap we've had the budget there's no bad news there for investors really could Mm -hmm. have been better could have been a lot worse yep and we'll live with it Uh, and there was no secrets to in terms of property related uh, announcements uh, we've got the potential or the the communication around the relaxation of responsible lending laws. And just very quickly, that's not about a carte blanche approach where everybody's going to get this fistful of money. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be a very measured approach where the onus now comes back onto the borrower as opposed to the lender. Yep. Um, and we do have open banking and we do have uh, APRA still regulating. So there's still going to be a very strong element of regulation mm-hmm. It's just now hopefully a more balanced approach as opposed to you know, sheer stupidity. You know, Absolutely. Wh- why did you buy the pair of shoes and do you yeah. do that every day scenario? Um, we have tightening markets in terms of rental or vacancy but also in terms of listings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we also have an increase in uh, lending. In fact, huge. And I've got some, I've got some stats here that, or just some recent, I should say, um, lending percentages, if I can find it, where just in the month alone, so owner-occupier lending year-on-year excluding refinances, New South Wales up 29%, Victoria 24%, Queensland 34%, 27% WA, 34%, uh, South Australia just about 40%, Tassie 33%, Northern Territory, ACT 36 So Australia nationally is 29% year-on-year increase. Mm-hmm. That's in, huge. Like, just put your wrap your head around that. Like, they're big numbers. Mm. Like, it's over one-third yep. increase. It's it's massive. And yet, you, usually we're doing sort of statistical cartwheels, if you will, around incremental changes of 1% or, mm. or 2%. But to get these these figures is is huge. Um, and then, of course, coming back to the, to the major points, uh, I mentioned vacancy rates, but I don't think people can actually understand how tight it is yeah. because all we do is see the headline news mm-hmm. from the media about you know, littered or streets littered with vacant properties mm. and double digits in the CBDs, yeah. which there is. Yeah, We were talking earlier about uh, one of your clients uh, that 
doesn't even own the property and has got you know, smashed with applicants. 33, so he, he takes possession, I think, tomorrow or the next day. Uh, and this is a, this is a duplex, mm-hmm. um, about 30 minutes from the CBD, giving a 6% yield. Cost of his money is just under 3%, so it's not a bad spread to begin with, and it suits his circumstances in that portfolio as a cash play. Uh, but 33 applicants, doesn't own the property, and out of the 33 applicants, two have been approved, ready to go before he even takes mm-hmm. ownership. And, and higher than what, what we had said the rental would be achieved, right? Yeah, some yeah. Oh, nearly 15% higher mm-hmm. than what we budgeted on yeah, in terms absolutely. of the rental return, which is, which is massive. But that's a clear indication of where the market is at this exactly. point in time. Exactly. Now I want to I want to bring it back though to to the other side of the coin as well. Just because we're saying the markets are tighter, that doesn't mean you start charging or, or asking for unreasonable rent that is not sustainable, no. not sustainable in that area, and you're not um, competitive enough with the other properties that are on the market. Right, so you need to do your due diligence before you name a figure in terms of rental. Otherwise, um, you will remain vacant. Your property then drops past page one in the uh, in the web. Uh, and I tell you this: no one looks out, uh, no one looks after page one if they're looking for properties. Do you know what? That's such a true, such a true statement. Even last night, I was on the uh, on the dot com platforms, um, real estate and domain and the like. And literally, I don't think I would have got too many times paid past page one. Yeah, because in my mind, I'm saying, well, they're old listings; they're probably mm-hmm. under contract and. Yeah, realestate.com and domain, please, when things are under contract, make it a law that they've got to remove them so it's not clickbaitable. It yes. kills me. <laughs> um, but that's the reason I don't go past page one, mm. especially in today's yeah. in today's yeah. market. So if you're a renter and you're constantly looking, you would never go past page one. And then the other thing as well is that don't put too many hurdles in front of them. So um, uh, one of the things that, and we digress a little bit, but this is still relevant. Um, one of the things that I helped one of my clients was um, he was not having much luck getting um, um, applicants for his property. And this was now getting to week three in an area where week one, you should have been smashed with rentals. But it was a simple thing as um, uh, the property manager putting in there that you need to apply first and then I'll let you view the property. Um, Not in those exact words, but that's what they meant. Then the link that was given did not work. (laughs) <laughs> and you're paying for the privilege, correct? In, in terms correct, of property yeah. management. Yeah. So, so as an investor, be invested in your investment in the sense that you need to be looking at it from from a daily point of view to say, check the ads, click the links, look at the photos as if you're a, a you're a renter, and if you can't ma- make head or tail of it, know that the renter can't either. Absolutely. And as Vic said, don't be too greedy, because mm. the consistency of cash flow is far, far better. More yeah, far better for you than an extra 10 or $15 a week. It'll Mm. take you more than that to to actually find the right right tenant to to pay it. So be fair, be reasonable, uh, and be be an investor Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Make sure you cross the T's and dot the I's. So let's now come back to how these markets are moving today. So let's not worry about the data because that's... That's reverse-facing. Reverse-facing and it's three months or thereabouts um, old. Mm -hmm. So what's happening today around the states that we're constantly in on a, on a daily basis. So here's some news from the, from the I think it was last weekend or the weekend before, um, where, and I might have mentioned this on one of our lives or, or something, where I had some friends that are in the RAF, in the Air Force, and they were looking to, to rent a property. They didn't want to go through the DHA or defence housing. And they, this is in Sydney, 
corridor. And they were 35, I think, one of 35 people through the open home mm. on that day. They ended up having to pay an extra $30 a week and prepay six months in advance to get to win, and I say that quite deliberately, to win uh, the property to rent. When was the last time you saw that? This is going back... Oh, 01 and 09. Yeah. Yep. I was I, like, I didn't want to say it. Once again, I'm trying not to be too buoyant. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm just a, a reporter reporting the facts more so than anything. But um, what we're that's in so that's in the Sydney corridor, mm-hmm. but you would not see that in the media yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. It's more about the bad news. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that yields are ten percent or anything like that, but when we have such a tight market, supply and demand is just the, the basics of economics and that's what we have here in this commodity being real estate. Mm-hmm. Now there are once again, to be fair, there are areas throughout in this prime example of Sydney, which are oversupplied being those CBD areas and subpar accommodation or investor stock as, as yep. opposed to investment grade. And there's yes. a big, very, very big difference. But in the, the central coast, the south coast of the Sydney corridors, uh, we're seeing the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the same thing in Brisbane. Perth has dropped down to below 1% vacancy rates. Now, that's, let's put that in perspective. I, and right? I say that <laughs> quite deliberately <laughs> as well, yeah. yeah. So about eight months ago, we were talking 6%. As a as a vacancy factor, and now it's less than one percent. That's a significant turnaround. Do you know what? As you say that, I remember distinctly you and I over there. I don't know if it was two years ago, mm-hmm. maybe. I, I just I don't recall. Wouldn't have been much longer than that. Um, You're giving the hairdresser example, are you? Yeah, yeah. I am. It's um, it's where so Vic, what Victor and I do is we use data as a directional piece. It, once again, we're very much more around ground truth, and part of our Scope is to, in new areas, is to for us, Vic and I, to physically go to these areas and spend an enormous amount of time speaking to local councils, the mayor, business owners, everything that is uh, that gives us some truth around the local economies because mm-hmm. that's where the money's being spent. Yeah. And so we were over in Perth, I can't remember the suburb, and we were just driving, I think, and we were in some suburb, not too far out from Perth, call it half an hour. Mm-hmm. and If that there were streets of houses that were vacant with the grass halfway up the walls. People are just like, you could. it was almost like a, a movie scene where people just washed their hands of it, throwing the keys mm-hmm. you know, against the fly screen and said, I'm out. Yeah. Scenario. Now, I'm being a little bit dramatic there, um, but it just looked like that as we drove the streets and full office towers in the CBD empty. Um, and that's quite an important point because they're the employers mm-hmm. of the economy. Uh, yet you fast forward to where we are today and we've gradually seen that. And the hairdresser scenario that Victor's talking about where he was asleep in the barber chair, yep. there was no business mm. and was for hours as we drunk our... Multiple cho- coffees. Choy latte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, interestingly enough, the coffee shop was the busiest place mm-hmm. in the shopping centre Yeah, because um, no one else had anything else to do. And that, once again, that sounds a little dramatic, but that's exactly how it was. The data didn't reflect that Mm -hmm. just as the data potentially is not reflecting what happened three months ago yes now in terms of the vacancy rates and it is that tight over there does it mean boom times not necessarily Mm. uh does it mean that it is more favorable than what it was 12 months ago absolutely Absolutely. it does and this is the the theme throughout various states and Mm -hmm. metropolitan areas or cities throughout australia now i know there's a lot of 
I know there's a lot of media at the moment talking about, say, parts of Queensland that they expect to grow by 23%, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a general comment. There are some areas that won't. Yep. There are probably some areas that will do better than that mm-hmm. as well, as there will be in Sydney and Perth and yeah. potentially Melbourne but as well. A, a, any growth predictors that are out there, like uh, predictions out there, they're talking general average numbers. That doesn't take into account suburb by suburb, street by street, types of properties, clusters of properties. They don't take that into account. They take an average figure and saying Sydney will grow by 20%, Melbourne will grow by 15%, 20%, Queensland will grow by 23% because that's on record of people saying that, right? Um, uh, It doesn't mean that every property that you'll buy will grow by that much. It may be that some may go backwards even while everyone else is going up. It's a good point because there is always going to be a subpar property in, a, in an area. Mm-hmm. But the thing that people need to understand if they're even entertaining purchasing over the next couple of months is you need to be active now around your personal circumstances. Yes. So if you haven't got finance, then start organising because there is a lag. Five Cs of credit, character, capital, capacity, collateral and conditions. They all add up. So mm-hmm. if you've got credit cards or you've missed a payment for whatever the reason being but it wasn't your fault – Clean that up now. Start mm. moving now so that you're in a position to borrow potentially yeah. in a couple of months, three months' time. If you are finance ready or you're going through those motions now, know that it won't be an overnight result. There's a, as I said earlier on, there's a lead time. In mm-hmm. some cases, up to six to ten weeks we're experiencing, depending on who the lender is. But also coming back to the strategies, finding out and identifying what strategy is going to let you sleep at night, mm-hmm. which is very, very important. But I'd but please, I, I really do beg of you And when I make this statement, is don't create the strategy based on cheap interest rates of yep. today. Interest rates will go up. They will go up and probably a lot quicker than what everybody is talking about should the economy start to perpetuate. So mm. Because that's the only lever we can pull to reduce inflation or, or keep inflation in check, right? We've, we've given everything away. So the only lever left is the interest rate to slow things down. And they will put rates up one day. Mm-hmm. No one knows. Not even the economists knows. Like, yeah. let's to be fair, we know as much as them and they know as much as us. It's just a bit of a guess. But they will go up. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that the strategies that we create today are sound, they're financially correct, they have their mitigation points in place, which is always around buffers and cash flow. That doesn't mean positive cash flow. It's mm-hmm. cash flow management. So you need to start as you mean to continue. It's yep. a very, very important yep. fact. So asset selection, strategy, buffers, capital, cash flow, borrowing, it all comes together and it's not something that you create overnight or pull out of a hat mm. and go, here's the magic bullet. Yep. It takes time to create. Absolutely. And and no one knows your financial circumstances better than you. Only you know whether you will be able to repay that loan if things go, uh, go pear-shaped. Go yeah. That's going to go all the way back to responsible lending. Yes, you watch the right, argument. Yeah. So, so is responsible lending is becoming a bit irresponsible, if I can use that word. Responsible borrowing comes to the forefront. So you need to become a responsible borrower and look at it from the worst case scenario. Stop doing your calculations on 2.5% interest rate. My suggestion is do it at 4%. Right? So at least you've got some, some buffer in there in case the interest rates start taking off really quickly. And you haven't been able to pick that and mitigate your circumstances ahead of time. But be selectively aggressive if you're in the position. That's right. That's and right. Ad- aggressive doesn't mean taking risks. It means being tactical. Yeah. And you can be the tactical investor as long as that plan is set up. Mm-hmm. And then you always revise that plan as we, meant, as we mentioned earlier on. And you know, for us it's about doing 
reviews and that might be around the position of the portfolio or what's needed next. In fact, here's a good example. I was doing a review yesterday with a client and just literally by simple three phone calls to the different lenders, he saved $3,500 a year. That's quite significant. Just just, just like that. So that's the, the equivalent of $60, $70 a week, call mm-hmm. it, over if you equated that to income on a property rent, yeah, rent-wise. And you'd be doing cartwheels and group hugs and high fives if you increased your rent by 70 odd dollars a week then mm-hmm. you should be probably more ecstatic when you save that amount of money because it's all tax-free that's right yeah, so so there are a few drivers in terms of managing your cash flow right obviously interest rates one thing um the um repairs and maintenance on the property so you know a lot of things you need to nip in the bud in terms of doing the repairs early enough so that it doesn't become a major repair. Preventative maintenance. Yes, yep. that's right. Uh, and then the third, of course, is increasing your rent. So be very strategic about uh, how long you are, um, uh, you know, rent- renting out the property for, whether it's six months, 12 months. Uh, also be mindful that different states have got different legislation in at the moment around COVID in terms of your ability to increase rents. But that still doesn't mean you can't increase the rents when the... Um, um, uh, the, the moratorium finishes. Um, so a good example of that is the Perth market in that where the 31st of March or 21st of March is, is when you can next increase your rent next year, right, 2021. So um, in my portfolio, uh, I've got a property that's due for a um, uh, release. So we've then put, put that person on a uh, six-month lease, uh, knowing that I'll be constructing there next year. Um, yet... What I've done is put a clause in there to say that um, assuming that on in March they will remove that moratorium, we will bring the rent back to market rates. So I can't increase the rent right now, but I've actually included it at that point in time, yes. Yeah, and that's important because that's cash flow management. But you want, right. you, once again, we stress, you want to stay within the rules yes, absolutely. Of, of the state-based regulations and your property manager will be or should be very in tune with what those mm-hmm. laws are and, and yeah, keep well abreast of, of what they are. Um, so as we as we move forward into today's market, and we're we're all under the agreements, and even our peers within the industry, we're all we're all in agreements of where we think the market is going. Mm-hmm. And I know for a lot of the media organisations out there and, and reporters, it's been quite a slap in the face for them in terms of yeah. their predictions again. Um, but herein lies the problem: is that there's there's sensationalising mm-hmm. the data, and then there's the interpretation of the data. Now, we all consume data pretty much the same. It's just how we interpret it. That's right. And based ha- on our experience and based on our on-ground knowledge. Correct. And unfortunately, a lot of people just look at data in isolation without actually adding that other component mm-hmm. being truth yep. uh, to it. And it's it's wildly inaccurate and it can lead you down a very, very dangerous path if that's all you mm. rely upon because there's a human element attached to this. This isn't an algorithm-based asset class. This is this has a human touch, a, a big human component to it. Because that's the end user, both in both terms, right? So both in terms of rental and also in terms of someone that's going to buy it off you at, at when you're ready to sell. Absolutely. Now we're only talking really about residential here. Then we have the whole commercial aspect of which we do quite a lot of commercial as well. But let me stress: there's a real time and a place for commercial. Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody, and it's certainly for the majority not the cornerstone. Not in the early pieces. Yeah, of your of your portfolio it's something that you need to add or tack on to yeah. to support the cash flow or create the cash flow and even as an end owner scenario where that might be one of the properties that you retain in ownership mm-hmm. 
forever and ever because it is giving you that higher return. But it needs to be in combination with residential. I probably shouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole because it's far more complicated than yes. than a than a thirty second soundbite, mm-hmm. nonetheless. Um, so where to from here? Vic? What's what's well, the market going to do? Do you think between now and Christmas? Look, I, I think given that we are into spring, so there's a lot more people around. Uh, the buoyancy in terms of um, people going out and about uh, within the restrictions that are in each state is is certainly there, uh, which is sort of given us the increase in terms of uh, the number of people going out to buy, right? It hasn't increased the number of people that are willing to sell. So there's still that shortage and a gap. And uh, a lot of people that have been putting things off till just let's see what happens after September, wh- whether they increase or, or uh, JobKeeper, whether they keep it going. Uh, so that, that cliff's been avoided. And we can see that the cliff won't be there in March either because there's a slow, gradual uh, weaning off the JobKeeper as such for the business. And mortgage monitoring. Yes. Uh, and, and, and yes, that mortgage moratorium as well. So there hasn't been a big cliff over there as well. However, um, those that need to sell because they have perhaps bought a bigger home and now they all need to offload, they will need to sell and therefore they will price it accordingly. Uh, and this is where the connected will get the better properties. So what I mean by that is this is now becoming more relationship-based than just uh, you know any mini minimo on the internet and say, I, I'm going to buy this property for my investments. Because as, as you and I do, we get to our prop, uh, most of our properties well ahead of it being loaded up on the net. And sometimes, uh, um, uh, if I look at an example of a property uh, that um, uh, we secured uh, yesterday, uh, it was on the net for a month and a half, but at substantially higher prices. But the motivation changed. The motivation changed because they found their dream home and they're now relocating now that they need to sell. Mm. So an adjustment of price of 70000 that hasn't flowed through in the adjustment on the net just yet, yet we are able to get that secured because of relationship. That's a really good point. And that is, I, I wish I could use that example. Actually, I will. So that everyone wants to talk about under market value. Mm-hmm. And so value is in the eye of the beholder. The, the data on that in terms of discounting will be huge. You know, asking prices versus... It probably mean that it'll, it'll, it'll hit the point of suburbs most discounted in Australia. Yeah, right? yeah but it can. You get a couple of those and it yes. will... And I'm actually working on one very similar, which we talked about earlier on, mm. um, where it is legitimate $117,000 below its sale price. Mm-hmm. Now, that'll affect data, but it's there's, there's a story behind it. This goes back to the truth piece behind... That's right behind the data. So if we look in your case about, you know, imagine days on market, mm-hmm. which is an indicator plus average discounting, Yeah, it could very well be a reportable news piece, mm. but it was never worth that. And it was never worth that because no one bought it. Yep. yep. At, at plus that. his motivation wasn't there. He wanted it at the listed price. Correct. Because he hadn't found his dream place. So yeah. it, was some, it was probably somewhere between what he listed it for and what you purchased it for yes. and negotiated for was where it really sat. But now he's become a seller with intent. Yes, as opposed to a seller with, well, I'll, ma- I'll, I'll create the price and you let just the market meet me. And let the market meet me. Mm. And let, that's another great point because we are seeing that everywhere across Australia at the moment where vendors are becoming a little bit more ambiguous and they're saying, okay, if the market price is five, I'm just plucking numbers here. If it's $500,000, cost of money's cheap, I'm, I'm, I'm under no duress. 
It's 500,000. You know what? Put it on for 530, and let the market meet me because mm-hmm. I can see the market moving. Yeah. And so when there's no, I'm not going to say desperation, but when there's no real cause, there's no hurry to sell a property, vendors, when you get to a market like we have today, they'll start to create the market value because they'll insist that it's listed and sold at a price. Now, what real estate agents then fall into the trap, well, it's not even a trap, they have to do it to get the listing, is they need to agree mm-hmm. with the vendor. And then condition the vendor. Even if the if the the and condition what Victor means by conditioning is start starting to say, well, we said it was worth five forty, but oh, the, you know the market's not saying that. Maybe we've got to put it at five thirty. But when you get a rising market, the vendor, the seller is less inclined to do that. They'll hold firm. Mm. So what happens then is that one or two agents start to what we call buy the listing. So they say, yeah, I agree with you, Mister and Mrs. Seller. Deep down, they don't, but they just want the listing. Yep. So they'll agree. And you get two or three or four agents do that, and that's the new floor. That's it in the market, and we're starting to see that now. So don't don't be surprised when you start to see two sets of data points come out with the days on market scenario being that you'll see these properties that are long on days mm-hmm. on market, but they'll get their price. Yes, and then you'll see properties that are very short days on market because they've been listed or put on the internet in the sweet spot representing mm-hmm. value, and the buyer is just in there straight yep. away. Or, or the alternative could be that it's with agent A who's had it at the higher price and they've had a crack at it for four or five months because the vendor was unrealistic. Then agent B comes along and says, I can sell it to you and you know what, I can get it at this price because that's how it should be priced. Because they've been disillusioned by the first agent, not any fault of the agent itself, the second agent comes in, takes it at a much lower listed price and they sell it within days. Yeah, and that's it's, it's actually well known within the real estate industry for the, all the sales agents that if you're the second listing agent, that's you, where you've, yeah. you've sold the property. Exactly. Because the vendor's well conditioned by then. Yeah. Yep. And condition, that's another bit of rhetoric conditioning. It, mm. um, maybe we'll do a whole glossary of terms podcast yeah, and, and be explanation yeah, around it because be there is so much, there is so many expressions within the industry that is um, obviously industry centric. So we've got this looming undersupply, which you'd mentioned earlier on, but when we're starting to see the, see that come to fruition in terms of stock on market. And a lot of mm-hmm. agents are reporting that their listing, so the amount of properties that they've got for sale is up to 50% lower than what it was this time last year. Yep. One of the other data points that we look at, and you can track this, is high search intent, which we've talked about over the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that high search intent from the consumer get larger and larger and larger and larger. Now, that's also around infection rates. It's a, you know, it's a pretty obvious statement, but it's very closely correlated to the infection rates and, and mobility. Mm-hmm. So we've seen that high search intent in uh, Melbourne in particular drop away. But over the last couple of weeks, we've started to see that actually increase dramatically because people have got a little bit of a sense of mobility, um, mobility but they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So they're, they're this pent up of purchasing is now getting closer and closer where they can act on it. Whereas the rest of the East Coast and the West Coast have had a fair bit of mobility, to be mm-hmm. fair, and so we haven't seen that drop um, in high-tent search activity. And it is higher today than what it was this time last year. Yep, which is pretty significant. <laughs> That's after an election, yes, which was a huge result in terms of the, the property buyers. Um, sentiment, consumer confidence went through the roof. We've had a crisis, a pandemic since then, and yet high search intent is higher today than what it was this time last year. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a direct reflection of intent. Yeah, yeah. So it's a clear platform uh, that's being set up for 
a lot of buyers entering the market. So um, with with um, you wanting to start out in investing, if you wanted to review where your situation is to take advantage of uh, the fundamental approach towards investing, um, you can come and sit down with either myself or Steve. We will map out a plan for you. Uh, and if it's not feasible in the sense that we think that you shouldn't be doing it, we will tell you straight away to say, no, you need to sit this one out and uh, you know, relook at your fundamentals, fix that first, then come in and start so that you have a safer start. Yeah, so put a plan in place because a plan isn't always about purchasing. It might be the workup. Yes. To yes. the purchase. And it does take time to do that. Sometimes it takes years mm. and sometimes it takes months. And I, and I mentioned it earlier on, you really do want to be tactical you just and methodical. It's not a... Let's just create a plan and day by day it'll un- mm-hmm. unfold and unroll and implement. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes we need to hurry and sometimes we need to sit back. And as we've said many, many times, sometimes you'll make more money by doing nothing yeah, and controlling what you already have mm. rather than adding to it. But everybody's got a different financial footprint uh, and it needs to be assessed accordingly. So Vic, I think we're at the end of it. Yeah, we're at, at the end of it. So if you wanted to uh, chat with us, uh, reach out to us, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. Uh, do follow our Facebook page uh, to get notified for our Facebook Live, uh, which comes on every second Thursday um, um, of, um, of the month. Um, and also... Uh, if you haven't uh, listened to our other podcasts, go back uh, in in um, in the um, hierarchy of the podcast and listen to all of that. You'll see that the messaging has not changed significantly in terms of fundamentals, but we have constantly um, alerted you to the trends to stay away from and the trends to follow in real estate as the market unfolds. Um, so um, do um, should I say um, question or if you wanted us to talk about a particular topic, um, give us a yell. Yep, and please do us a favour because it, it goes a long way uh, for the rest of the team is jump onto the Facebook page, give us a like, have a consume the content there. Even on these podcasts, please just give us a rating. Uh, it goes a long way and it's well acknowledged. So Vic, until next time, where there'll be a mountain more news, no doubt, because it is such the market, we'll see you then. We'll do. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.